Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com. So we are live. Hello. Hello, everyone. Hello, everyone. Hello, Mr. Duran. How are you? I am always good. <laughs> always good. One of the important things I always say it is nobody cares how you feel, but if you always resonate positive energy, everybody will feel good around you. So I believe it that I'm always good, doesn't matter what, right? So I believe that you agree with me about that. Absolutely, for sure. You know, life is short and we got to be blessed every day with gratitude and count our blessings every day. You know, we have first world problems here and challenges, but compared to other people on the planet, right, we're doing exceptionally well. Yep, absolutely. So, Jason, why won't you take over? You want me to take over? All right. Um, <laughs> so I'm the boss, right? Is it? <laughs> throw me under there. Throw me under the bus again. Yeah. So, everyone, I'd like to introduce you to Darren Jacklin. Um, you know, world, you know, world class speaker. You know, I, I know that I've read a little bit about you, Darren. Um, you know, you've spoken to many, and you know, lots of big corporations. Um, you know, you've got a very positive message that comes out in the end. You've uh, definitely overcome a lot of diversity, uh, a lot of issues in life that have, uh, you know, caused you to stumble backward and forward at the same time. Um, so I would love if you could tell us a little bit about your, you know, the history, uh, you know, going back and, you know, into your younger years and, uh, and where you've come to from there to now, I guess. For sure. Well, I grew up in uh, Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, small rural community of less than 20,000 people in population. And at the formative age of uh, four years of it, when I was, when I was about uh, you know, a year old, my four-year-old sister died of a heart transplant failure. And this really impacted my family. And from an early age, I had difficulty reading and writing. Uh, I was diagnosed with uh, ADHD or attention developed to higher dimension, as I always called it as a kid. And I was forced to be put on a drug called Ritalin while I was in the public school system. Uh, I failed grade one of public school in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, and I was put back uh, from grade one. And then for the rest of my public life, from grade one through to grade 12, I was put into special education or modified educational programs uh, through school. So I went to school with a lot of the slow learners, special needs kids, all throughout you know elementary, junior high, and high school. And that really affected you know, my self-confidence, my self-worth, my ability to communicate with other kids that were in my school and my classrooms. And I was labeled a failure, you know, not being good enough, not smart enough, learning disability, reading disability, you know. And so when I was seven years of age, I uh, realized that I, I liked people and I liked the community where I lived in and the neighborhood. And so what I did was I actually created my first little company at seven years of age called Rent-A-Kid. And I really did it because I got attention for it. I got positive reinforcement and positive recognition. And I went around my neighborhood and I was shoveling sidewalks in the wintertime mowing lawns in the spring, summer, and fall. And I was delivering the Regina Leader Post newspaper six days a week in my neighborhood where I lived. 
And by the time I was nine years of age, I was hiring my best friends in my neighborhood that I went to school with to work with me. And I was starting to build teams of people as a kid. You know, and the parents liked it because, uh, you know, they got to go out and do some physical activities. They got out of trouble. They were doing something safe. They were, you know, doing something of service and contribution to the community and to society. And then make a little bit of money as kids to go to the Red Rooster or the 7-Eleven convenience store. You know, in school, I always felt socially awkward and I always felt invisible. Uh, I remember, you know, struggling all through elementary school and junior high school. And then when I got into high school, I remember in grade 11 one day, I was taken on a class by a guidance counselor and a school teacher. And they sat down with me, you know, kind of like they do the career planning, you know, when you're grade 11 or grade 12 of public school and they, they kind of prepare you to go to college, university. Well, I wasn't one of the smart kids in school. I wasn't an A or B student. I was like a C and B student. Although um, when I was in junior high school, I got very creative and very imaginative entrepreneurial wise from starting my first little business called Rent-A-Kid when I was seven years old. And I started to make some money, you know, cutting the grass, shoveling the sidewalks, painting fences, raking leaves, cleaning, you know, cleaning out swimming pools. So I started to earn some money. And what I did is I would hire the straight A students, the girls in my classes, because they needed money for hair and makeup and jewelry and fashion. I would hire these girls after school and evenings and weekends uh, to do my homework. So I was building my team. And, and, you know, in school, they call that cheating. In life, I call it delegation and working for my highest priorities, my highest values of life. Um, so that day I sat down with the guidance counselor and school teacher in grade 11. They said, you know, Day Darren, based on your academic marks and your performance and your report cards here in school, you're probably not going to amount to much or go very far in life if you graduate from grade 12. Because I was, you know, I was teeter-tottering on not graduating public high school and I was very low performing. And so with the help of my friends in school, I got like a 57% average, grade point average uh, in the marketing system of school. And then when I left, you know, I had very low self-esteem. I had no direction. I had no focus. I had no purpose, nothing in my life. I had nothing going for me when I graduated from grade 12 back in, you know, June of 1991 is when I graduated from high school. And, you know, because I had no direction, no focus, no guidance, no mentorship, no nobody directed me or guided me. Um, I felt lost and I didn't go to drugs or I didn't go to alcohol. Uh, I actually went, I was eating food a lot, uh, but I actually went down the path of suicide and I practiced and I meditated and did multiple attempts to end my life with suicide. And I left Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada after I graduated from high school and I moved out to Western Canada to a place called Vernon, British Columbia, Canada in the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia. And I had a lot of family out there and, and uh, still do. And, and I went there for a lot of times on summer holidays and vacations with my family because of my relatives being there. And so I really liked the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia, Canada. And I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life there. And it was really interesting because I was involved in a major car crash on Silver Star Mountain Resort in Vernon, which practically almost ended my life. Uh, and so I had a lot of challenges. Life was like a real roller coaster to me with a lot of adversities, failures, setbacks, you know, low self-confidence, low self-worth. And on my final suicide attempt that one day, driving my car at 140 kilometers an hour or 85 miles per hour towards a telephone pole that I had practiced and drilled and rehearsed many, many times and visualized it in my mind, I wanted to make an impact. So if I committed suicide, I wanted to end my life where I wasn't disabled, I wasn't physically handicapped, I wasn't in a wheelchair, boom, I was dead. And then when the police would arrive on scene, they realized that it was an accidental situation. Maybe, you know, I drove off the road unexpectedly or it was a speeding or something like that. And basically it came out as an undetermined result of the car crash. 
And in my early 20s, after I received an insurance settlement one time from a major car crash I was in, I made a bunch of money, got an insurance settlement. I actually uh, invested in my first startup company in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. I had no experience in investing. I just liked the sound of residual and passive income and mailbox money from these two guys I met at a birthday party at a restaurant. And say they sold me the dream verbally, nothing written down, nothing papered up on paper. I didn't know what due diligence was. I didn't know what research anybody was. And so I met these two guys. I had some cash in the bank. I was liquid. I had a great credit rating. I had access to lines of credit and, and other sources of, of money to fund this startup business venture. And so I invested in it totally blindly, right? I, I bought the hype. I was elated. I was excited. And I bought the sizzle, not the steak. And uh, didn't do any background checks on these guys. Nothing. Everything was done on a handshake. And it was quite interesting because um, 120 days later, the bank called the demand loan through what they call a GSA, which is a general security agreement, which has cost me tens of thousands of dollars in my early 20s to learn that. Now, this is this is 25 years ago. But um, what it did was it, it forced me to actually uh, be evicted. I had my bills. I couldn't pay. I got evicted from my place. I got all my utilities cut off in my place I was renting. And I actually went from losing everything to having my car repossessed to lawsuits against me, collection agencies after me, creditors after me in my early 20s, where I lost everything because the bank called the demand after these two guys that I co-signed the loans for. And of course they weren't returning phone calls and weren't re receiving me when I was knocking on their door at their, at their homes where they lived. And so I went into a very spiraling downturn of my life. And what was quite interesting was, um, you know, I, I, I didn't know what to do. And uh, so I went on welfare and I actually became homeless for a few months living in Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. I actually slept in an apple orchard at nighttime and during the daytime I would go out and find, you know, spend a lot of time in the public library reading books, right? Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, you know, W. Clement Stone books, uh, The Richest Man in Babylon by George Clayson, different books to immerse my mind so I wasn't going to go freaking crazy. And one day a lady introduced me to Dale Carnegie training program and I had no idea. So I went to this hotel one day thinking I was going to meet this guy named Dale Carnegie and hopefully have a mentor in my life. My first time to ever have a mentor. And I went there and I wandered around this hotel and the prestigious hotel in Vernon, British Columbia. And I go to the front desk hotel and I said to the lady, I said, can you tell me if you know a gentleman by the name of Dale Carnegie? She said, yeah, he's upstairs in the conference area. Just go down the hall up the stairs or take the elevator. So I went up there and I'm wandering around and this person says, can I help you? And I said, yeah, I'm here to see Dale Carnegie. Do you happen to know who he is? Well, I didn't know that Dale Carnegie had passed away many years ago and left a legacy called the Dale Carnegie Training Program that was you know, international. And so I went in this room with a bunch of chairs, felt so awkward, very uncomfortable, very scared. And I wanted to leave. I just wanted to bolt out of the room and run. But something inside of me said, you know what, stay and check this out and just become curious. So I stayed for the evening. And at the end, I realized, wow, there's positive people in the room. There's people that uh, can actually grow and develop through personal and professional development and training. So they asked me to sign up for this Dale Carnegie training program. Well, I didn't have the money. I was flat broke financially living on welfare. And um, so they asked me to sign up and I said, listen, I, I don't have a bank account right now. Uh, I have lawsuits against me. I have collections after me. I have creditors after me. I'm upside down. I'm drowning financially. I owe a lot of money because I co-sign these loans to people. People don't like me right now. Uh, I'm scared to death. And they go, that's why you need this program. I said, listen, I, I, I don't have a credit card. I don't have a bank account. You know, I'm cashing my welfare checks at the money mart, right? And paying enormous fees for this. And, um, I'm rock bottom. So if you're willing to give me a hand up, 
I'm willing to do something. They said, tell you what, if you're willing to make a payment plan, you know, we'll, we'll bend the rules here on the contract with the Dale Carnegie program. We'll bend the rules. You come up with some cash. I said, listen, I, I can't give you a financial deposit right now. I can't put any financial skin in the game. I've got nothing. Like, I've, I've, I've got nothing. Like, I, I'm living hour to hour, not paycheck to paycheck, not day by day. I'm living hour to hour. I am flat broke. Listen, I went just the other day to try and declare personal bankruptcy, met with the lady, give her all the paperwork from all the collection notices and lawsuits against me. The lady went through all my paperwork, then said at the end, she says, listen, I can help you go personal bankruptcy. It's going to affect your credit score for seven to 10 years. How do you want to take care of my fee of $1,600? I said, listen, I said, those phone calls have already been made. I can't make any more phone calls. People aren't returning my phone calls. They're running away from me right now because I owe money. And uh, so bottom line was I couldn't declare personal bankruptcy because I couldn't afford it because I couldn't pay the fees to file for the application for bankruptcy. So I can't afford to take this Dale Carnegie training program. So they're very accommodating, very flexible with me, and they agreed to make a payment plan with me, which I was behind quite a few months. It took me took me a few years. Actually, the program was 12 weeks. I think it took me like three years to pay the program off because I was that's how far behind it was. But I made it work, and I got it done after about three years to pay it off. And that program, the Dale Carnegie program, transformed my life. I met some great new people. And from there, I was introduced in the early 1990s to then Toastmasters International. And I joined Toastmasters because I wanted to improve my self-confidence and my communication skills because I was very negative. I was beating on myself with a lot of negative self-talk. I had no direction. I had no focus. I had nothing going for me. You know, flat broke financially and just wanted to move up in my life. And so early 20s. And so I joined Toastmasters. And it was really interesting because my first speech I did in Toastmasters, my first speech was my icebreaker, three to five minute presentation. I was at the Best Western Vernon Lodge Hotel and Conference Center in Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. I was terrified that day. We took a break during the Toastmasters meeting to take a break to reset the room and get ready for our second half of the Toastmasters program. I walked out and I was terrified because I had to do an icebreaker. So I went in the washroom. I threw up a couple times in the toilet there in the washroom. I was so scared. Wanted to bolt out of the hotel room. I thought, you know what? I can't do this. I can't do my icebreaker presentation today. So I thought, okay. I got to come up with a solution, a strategy here. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to pull the fire alarm in the hotel, and I'm going to have everybody evacuated, and that's going to disrupt our Toastmasters meeting, and they're going to have to reschedule it for a future date, and then I'm never going to do it. And that was my strategy. So I went and pulled the full fire alarm in the hotel, and what happened was the fire bells didn't go off. There was just a flashing light at the front desk of the hotel. The maintenance person came down and reset the fire alarm, and we didn't evacuate, and I had to do my presentation. And what happened was from there, I got invited a couple of days later to speak at a Rotary Club because the mayor postponed due to a family emergency and they needed a backup speaker. And our Toastmasters Club was a backup for the Rotary Clubs. And I went there and I'm sitting there one day and I thought, okay, I'll do three to five minutes at this Rotary Club with all these professional people that I was highly intimidated by because they had money and they had success and they had degrees and they had education and they were influential. And I had nothing going for me. And, and so I put them on the pedestal and I put myself in the pit and minimized myself. And, and, and elevate them. And uh, the Sergeant Arms at the Rotary Club one day at the same hotel we did the Toastmasters meeting, just a couple rooms down, the conference center there, he said to me, he said, we've got you scheduled for 15 to 17 minutes. Would you like a green, yellow, and red light like you do in Toastmasters? I said, listen, sir, I, I have no content or no material for 15 to 17 minutes to do a presentation for your Rotary Club. He goes, well, I guess you're going to have to figure it out. We're starting in 45 minutes. I said, sir, listen, you don't understand. I have never done anything over five minutes. He goes, well, I guess it's time to step out of your comfort zone and stretch and grow, young fella, isn't it? 
And to this day, gentlemen, this is in the early 1990s. I have no memory of what I presented that day. I was so frozen and so scared. But the interesting thing was a couple of days after I did that presentation, Investors Group Financial Services called me and said, hey, we heard about you at the Rotary Club. Would you be willing to come in? We'll pay you a financial honorarium, which I didn't know what an honorarium was, to speak to our financial advisors and financial planners at our annual awards banquet and golf tournament. And I said, okay, I'll just be a yes. And then Century 21 Real Estate called me and said, hey, we heard about you at the Rotary Club. Would you be willing to come in and train our licensed real estate agents and assistants at one of our breakfast meetings for our training meetings on a Monday morning? And that was back in the early 1990s, and that started my training development. I really got into it. First 10 years, I struggled. But, uh, you know, now take it back, uh, you know, 20, 20 plus years later, I've now trained and developed over 1 million people that I put into rooms uh, in 46 countries on four continents. And I've personally trained and developed over 157 Fortune 500 companies. I've worked with people on the Forbes 400 list, many millionaires, multimillionaires, billionaires, celebrities, sports stars, athletes from all walks of humanity. Over the last 20 plus years, I have a school now I, I fund in and look after in Uganda, East Africa. And so this is what's happening. So now I'm thinking to myself, wow, I've achieved all the success. I've had adversities. I've had challenges. I've had failures. I've had setbacks. It's been a roller coaster at times. Now I'm in my mid-40s and I'm thinking, okay, I've trained it up to over a million people. I've trained all these Fortune 500 companies. I, I, I've mastered the game of professional speaking and corporate training globally. I'm in high demand for that, but I want to play a much bigger game. So that's where real estate comes into. So currently right now, I sit on the board of directors of one of the fastest growing real estate companies right now in the world as an independent director, which I'm grateful to serve and make a difference uh, with that real estate company. And now I'm getting into real estate land development and acquiring different real estate properties through the Darren Jackson group of companies, building a $100 million net worth over the next decade because I built a massive network and Rolodex of a lot of best in class influential people by trying to help over a million people. And here, here's what I want to do. I'm driven by growth and contribution. And I'm a guy who's had a lot of adversities, a lot of failures, a lot of setbacks in my life. I've been upside down. I've been homeless. I know it's like to eat out of a garbage dumpster for my next meal. I know it's like to walk into a money mart with a welfare check to try and get a little bit of money to get a little food in my stomach to eat. I know it's like to be depressed. I know it's like to have anxiety. I know it's like to be suicidal. I know it's like to just want to wake up and die in my sleep. I've been there through all that stuff. I know it's like to have no friends you know, feel worthless in school, have low self-esteem, not good enough, not smart enough, not worthy enough. And so I really come to a term now in my life where I want to, I'm building a hundred million dollar net worth. And then starting on Wednesday, September the 1st of 2027, I'm going to exit and go full-time philanthropy with my foundation and give 99% of my wealth away for global philanthropy projects around the world. And one of the things I've discovered through my research and I've discovered through traveling this world, you know, almost 300 days a calendar year is that success leaves clues. And one of the key things, if you do some due diligence and research with influential people, millionaires, multimillionaires, and billionaires around the planet, you'll discover in their portfolio, real estate plays a major piece to their portfolio puzzle. So I'm really committed to playing a major game in Canada, the United States with real estate now going forward. And the cool thing now is to build financial wealth, tremendous amount of cash flow, so I can write checks and serve the greater good of humanity and do philanthropy. And so, you know, I want to help with the animals. We've got some animals that are going extinct. We've got people that should not be going homeless. We've got children we've got to take care of in terms of education. We've got women that are being abused and men that are being abused. We've got to help create centers for that to educate them and, and house them and shelter them and give them a better quality of life. So I'm really turned on now by serving vast amounts of people. I look at what I did in the corporate training world 
professional speaking world over the last 20 years. Now I want to serve the mass of the population, serve more vast amounts of people, serve millions and millions of people and create lots of jobs and create places for people to live with real estate and really make a major difference. So I'm just a vehicle. I'm just the messenger of the message to serve people. But really, I want to build a tremendous amount of wealth, partner with some great people and attract some great investors to what we're doing and really make a big difference in the world. And, and then you know what? Um, I'm 45 years of age now. When I'm 55 years of age, I exit, go full-time philanthropy, and then start to giving this money away, paying it forward. It's a three-step process I learned by a guy in a Rotary Club years ago. He said, step number one is you want to learn, right? Education, knowledge, school, education, mentors, coaches, mastermind groups. Step number two is you want to um, you want to earn. Financially, you want to take care of your family, take care of your lovers, take care of your friends, put some money in the bank, get your money right. He then gets your money right. And then step number three is you want to return it. You want to pay it forward and pass it on. So that's a little backstory about myself uh, of where I'm at, where I come from, where I'm at right now, and where I'm going in the future. And really what's driving me right now is growth and contribution. Very wow. impressive, is it? Great story. Very, yep. Very impressive. Wow. Yeah, I can relate in some topics and some, some life experiences, uh, bankruptcy and, you know, being hungry, being homeless. <laughs> Absolutely. People I'm are hungry, going yeah. up and down, right? So You know, here's the interesting thing I learned about life is that you're either coming from a problem in your life, you're in a problem yeah. right now, or you're heading towards a problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So you sense. have mentioned that you've been working with a lot of multimillionaires, and I believe it, with whom you're dealing with, you're becoming one. So how you meet with millionaires, multimillionaires, billionaires can you can you talk about that yeah great question you know i used to be scared of these people because they're always doing better than me and i always put myself in the pit and put them on the pedestal and i would minimize myself and when i you know when i first started going places i would go to you know different conferences and conventions and i'd hear that millionaires are going to be there multi-millionaires even a billionaire coming in and uh so I used to park my car a couple blocks away or get dropped off because I was so embarrassed by the clothes I was wearing and so embarrassed by the car I was driving because I was so stuck in my ego about wanting to look good and not wanting to look bad. So so focused on my self-image and how I was packaged. And it was an internal struggle I struggled for years. And the key thing is you want to look at your network, your Rolodex of people. It's not what you know, it's who you know. It's who they know that knows you. And the key thing is, so geographically, wherever you live in the world, if you live in a major city, it's much, much easier. But you want to start to think about where do millionaires and multimillionaires and billionaires hang out? Well, country clubs that hang out, golf courses. Here's something. If you're taking notes, write this down. Rich people golf. Rich people golf. They play the game of golf. So if you can do some research online or ask some people in your community or where you live, find out where influential people live and because we live you'd be amazed now give an example i'm not the greatest golfer but i know how to drive a golf cart so whenever there's golf tournaments going on i know that rich people are going to be there affluent people are very successful people you know the millionaires the multimillionaires, billionaires i volunteer to drive the golf cart and the reason why is and this is something if you're taking notes you want to write down proximity is power proximity is power you want to write this down you want to put it on your mirror proximity is power you see, you want to get in close proximity to millionaires and multimillionaires because success leaves clues. See, I love to travel. And so, you know, I used to stay at the Days Inn Hotel and the Holiday Inn and the Ramada Inn and the, the Motel Sixes. And that's where I started in my life. You know, that was the level I was at. I play at the four and five star level now. 
But the thing is, that's where I started. But I always wanted to level up and skill up. So I would go to hotels that are four and five star hotel or five diamond hotels and go into the hotel lounges or lobbies, get in there because I'm in close proximity and I would use the free Wi-Fi internet and I might order a tea that cost a couple dollars, but I got into close proximity with these men and women to hear their conversations, to see if I could distract them and get some FaceTime with them for at least a few minutes or 30 or 60 seconds, okay? So that's one key thing. Also, charities are another thing. Go volunteer at some children's hospitals. Volunteer at big charities that raise a lot of financial dollars. And there's lots of great charities out there that are local, national, international, and globally. Find out the, where the money's flowing. Find out where the money is flowing to which charities. Well, we know children's hospitals are a big thing, is a big one. So go to, the, if you can get in to volunteer or buy a ticket or, or got somebody, you know, get around somebody who can buy a table. You know, I've done that before where I've leveraged myself or I didn't have the money, but I found somebody who's got a table. I got a ticket um, and get in, get around these people and start to build personal relationships. Now, what do you mean by personal relationships? What do I say to these people? You're terrified. I was terrified. First thing I ask somebody who's a millionaire, multimillionaire, billionaire is the first thing I do is I start off with an acknowledgement or a compliment where I appreciate them. So I do a little bit of homework before I go in on certain people. And sometimes it's a surprise. You don't even know that these people are going to be there. Okay. But I watch in a room. I, I watch where people are, are you know, because you're either attracting or repelling people. So if people are being attracted and they're attracting people, then that person's a center of influence or their decision maker. And so I just go up and I say, you know, good to meet you. Yarek, I want to acknowledge you for what you've done. Thank you for, for giving that check. Thank you for raising the money. Thank you for, you know, uh, you know, buying this medical equipment for this children's hospital. And I always start off with a recognition or acknowledgement or compliment because people love to be appreciated for who they are. And then I said, you know what? I'm just curious. What challenge or problem are you working on right now in your life? And, and what do you need help? Or how do you, need, how do you plan on solving it? Because I want to look at everybody in life is playing the game. Everybody in life. And the bigger the game you play, the bigger the challenges and problems you have. And that's why you build teams of people. But what I always ask for is what, what are they working on right now? What do they need? Like everybody has a blind spot. Everybody has strengths. Everybody has weaknesses. And successful people always delegate out their weaknesses, right? When it's not a high priority to someone, they'll delegate it. And so I'm looking at how – I'll give you an example. I went to a charity event years ago, and uh, there was a very wealthy man there, okay? Very, very wealthy guy, 100-plus million-dollar level guy. And I was – listening to his conversation and he was talking to a bunch of men also successful men about how his wife organized this charity event at their house and the event planning company would set up these big white tents on their property and uh all this kind of stuff and he was then he started complaining because the guy that was his landscaper and the guy that did his gardening and cutting his grass was was doing something and anyways he got fired just a couple days earlier and they couldn't find somebody to cut the grass and clean the pool so I walked right up to the guy and I said, I'll cut your grass and clean your pool. The guy looks at me and goes, who are you? I said, doesn't matter who I am. Just give me an address. I'll show up and cut the grass. And I didn't own a lawnmower. I didn't know how to clean a swimming pool. <laughs> but I called up a swimming pool company and they told me over the phone how to clean a pool. And I went and bought a lawnmower from somebody and a truck showed up to this guy's house. I spent six hours cutting this guy's grass. That's how much yardy lawn he had. Six hours. I was just sweating. Okay. <laughs> clean up the guy's swimming pool. And at the end, I, so I, I brought clothes to change, my best clothes, because I want the reason why I want that, I had an agenda. I wanted to get invited to the party, right? This guy was at this charity event party because I wanted to meet some influential people there. 
So at the end, after cutting all the grass swimming pool, I volunteered. I didn't get paid for it. I donated my time at the end. The guy comes out and he goes, oh, thanks a lot, you know. Uh, you know, thanks a lot, and kind of get off my lawn, get off my property and go. Well, his wife was so generous and so nice. She says, well, honey, you know, I think he should stay. Seeing that he volunteered his time all day, cutting the grass and cleaning out the swimming pool, I think he should stay, okay? Well, thank goodness she came out and, and, and was very warm, center, heart-centered, and very loving. He was, but he was just an impatient-type personality style. He was very overachiever, very type A. And so I stayed at that event and I got a chance to observe and be around in close proximity to millionaires and multimillionaires watching them write checks. And a few million dollars was raised that night for the charity they, they, they selected. And I was like, wow, it's like three, four hours serving drinks and food and wine and cheese. They raised a few million dollars. I was just blown away. It was just over the top expansion of my mindset. I just blowing my mind. And that's one thing. So you want to get around people. So look, where there's golf games, golf tournaments, tennis games, tennis tournaments, charity events, private clubs, yacht clubs, sailboats. Places like this is where millionaires. A lot of seminars you can go to, there's a lot of successful people. The 5 or 10% of the population are always in training and development. They're always wanting to level up, skill up, mentor up their skill set. They're always wanting to expand where the majority of the mass population want to contract and conserve and save energy and do the path of least resistance and not expand themselves because they feel like they've already got their high school or college university education. People who are millionaires and multimillionaires are always expanding themselves. So they're focused on abundance and prosperity versus lack and scarcity. They want to expand rather than contract. So that's how you start getting in these different places. And the key thing is to listen and ask questions. So I follow the 90-10 principle. I listen and ask questions 90% of the time and talk 10% about myself. You know, I want to find out, I want to become curious about, you know, you know, what was one of the questions I always ask, and this is something you want to write down. It was actually taught to me by one of the wealthiest people in North America. He's just passed away just in the last uh, year, but he was on the Forbes 400 list. He was actually one of my mentors. He said to me, he said, whenever you see somebody who's very, very, very successful, man or woman, go up and ask him this question. I'm just curious. Would it be okay if I ask you a personal question? And people kind of look at it like, okay, sure. Because then you start to build a deeper rapport with them. How did you know when you were unique, special, or different? How did you know when you're unique, special, or different? See, myself, how did I know when I was unique, special, or different? I knew at a very young age when I was in public school, when I was being put all these labels on me and being put on Ritalin and being in a slow learner's class and told I was stupid by the teachers and told I'd never amount to much and, and, I, and kids were laughing at school. I knew when I was younger. And by the time I was seven years old creating my rent kid business, that I was unique. I was different because I was out there cutting grass and shoveling sidewalks and delivering newspapers, doing that stuff while the rest of the kids were at home playing, you know, ColecoVision and Atari and Intel back in the early 80s, you know, when we were playing those games and, and some of that. And so I knew that I was different in my 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15 years of age. I knew I was different. And so when you ask somebody those questions, it's going to really stump them because most of the times these people have never been asked that question before. And so you, I've asked, I've asked, I've asked presidents of countries that I've met. I've been to some events where I've been a guest speaker where the president of the country comes in and royal family members. I remember I asked a, one of the royal family members one time, I said, how did you know when you're unique, special, or different? Well, when I got old enough to realize I was living in a big castle and I had armed bodyguard details and handlers and stuff like that. And I said, so, you know, aside from that, what, what, what's different about you? And we got into this very deep conversation about really this person's passion and what they cared about most in their life and, you know, really what, what their hierarchy of values and, 
in their life is and what values most of their life. And so this is the things you do is you want to look at when you meet a millionaire, a multimillionaire, a billionaire, understand this. Just because you met him, you want to get access to him again. Because here's something to understand. 10 air, somebody with 10 bucks or $10, a 10 air hangs out with a 10 air. A 100 air hangs out with a 100 air. A 1,000 air hangs out with a 1,000 air. So when you got 10 bucks, you hang out with people just like you. Then you get then you get 50,000 air, 100,000 air, quarter millionaire, half millionaire, millionaire, then a decade millionaire. You know, then you keep going up to a hectomillionaire, which is 100 plus million. Then you get into the billion, the billionaire club, which is the billionaire club. So we're at different levels all the time. Now, here's a cool thing. I've done this in live events before where I take people and I, and I have a 10 air, a 100 air, a 1,000 air, quarter of a million air, all these different people in front of a room. And I ask the general audience, they listen, you've got a 10 air on the one side and you've got a billionaire on the other side. These are just volunteers in front of the room. I said, if you could take one of these people out for lunch day, who would you take? Now, it depends on your level of skill and comfort. You take the billionaire out for lunch, right? In fact, you'd buy the billionaire's lunch because of the value of time and what he or she's going to share with you. And some people in the group will actually pick the tenor because they feel the most safe as that person, because they feel for that person. You see, homeless people should take a billionaire or a millionaire out for lunch. People say, what do you mean? It should be the millionaire buying the lunch for the homeless person. Listen, when I was flat broke and I'd make money picking apples, okay, or selling watermelon and cantaloupe on the side of the road, I took, I met a guy one day who was a multimillionaire. This guy had so much money, he lived off his money's interest, interest. Now think about that for a moment. Somebody so financially wealthy, they live off their money's interest, interest, not even touching the principle of the money, okay? I met this guy one time on the side of the road selling watermelon cantaloupe while I was on welfare, my early 20s. And this guy actually became one of my mentors, and I was with him up until the day he died. And he was like a good example of him would be like Robert Kiyosaki Day who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He was just like him. This guy was in his early 70s, and by the time I had met him, he already owned over 4,000 mortgages on homes. Right, so every month people were paying their mortgage payment to him. He owed over four thousand mortgages. It was unbelievable the cash flow this guy generated. And this guy was, you know, very low profile. Had a grade three formal education. That's all he had. Grade three formal education. I was blown away by that. But this guy had a hunger and a drive to make a difference in the world. And that's what I found when it comes to wealth, millionaires, multimillionaires, and billionaires. Some of the most successful, wealthy, affluent people you meet, you would never pick them out in the room. I have friends of mine that are worth. I was with a guy just two days ago just two days ago, worth excess of $500 million. If you saw him in an airport, you saw him walking down the street, you saw him in a shopping center, you would never know his net worth. You would never know it. And this guy does huge things around the world in terms of philanthropy and making a difference, but he's anonymous. He's like a secret Santa Claus, but unbelievable this guy, what he does, but he's so low profile because he values his privacy of what he does. And he just gives anonymously and generously, but he doesn't under the radar. Doesn't look for attention. So that's a key thing to look for. Well, well, that's uh, that's good information. I love that absolutely. So, how many hours do you have? <laughs> how many hours? <laughs> I'm here to serve and make a difference. So, as long as it takes, I can always reschedule. I'm here to contribute and pay it forward and, and just make a difference in people's lives, man. I, 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 I never would have thought I'd ever be here. I never thought in my life I'd ever have an interview like this in my life. You know, I, I, I just never thought I'd ever go far, never amount to much, never do much in my life. So I'm blessed with deep gratitude now that I get a chance to serve and make a difference because I was the kid in school that was always picked last for any sports team. Now I was, a, I, I was, I, I got fired for pumping gas. I lasted two hours on a job at a Petro Canada gas station pumping gas because a guy pulled up in a brand new Mercedes Benz, well dressed, and he was a lawyer, and it was a full service gas station in Swift Current, Saskatchewan. When he pulled up, I was so infatuated with his his car and the way he dressed. I said, I want to be like that. 
right? Modeling. And so I started talking to the guy and I felt we're a full service gas station, but my boss who came from a scarcity mindset and there's nobody else around. Like it wasn't like the gas station was busy and hopping with lots of customers. It was a slow, slow gas station. But my, my boss felt that I was just talking to the guy too long, but the guy really engaged in a conversation with me. So listen, I've, I've made lots of mistakes in my life and I've also learned from them as life lessons. So I'm grateful. Very good. I got a question here regarding, sure. you know, you, you just mentioned about how to meet these, these millionaires and multimillionaires, billionaires. And um, you even briefly touched on, uh, you know, about in, influential people and, and decision makers. So what is the best way to get around or, you know, to get around people who are, you know, are the decision makers rather than just the inf influencer. I don't, I mean, I mean, I guess I'm trying to say is how do I get around and not just look for the people that are influential, but the people that can actually make the decisions and help me move forward in, in my life or career. Great, great, great question. So there's lots of influencers out there and you'll find is that, so for example, if you're online on the internet and you're searching, so a great website, a lot of people go to is meetup.com. It's a global website. Yep. Millions and millions of people use meetup.com around the world. There's, there's, there's millions of different sites through meetup.com, that portal. Um, and so if you're, if you're an, an entrepreneur, you're self-employed, or you're in a networking business or real estate, or you're looking to raise capital, or you're looking to find somebody, you want to get around the decision makers, the people that can write you a check. The thing is you got to look at where do decision makers hang out. Okay. And that's the key thing is you want to establish influential people. So, you know, I, I've met I've met decision makers at concerts. Now, people, when they go to a concert, you know, you want to get in the first three rows. I'll give you an example. OK, I, I fly a lot. I fly around the world a lot. And I always flew in economy class. And I remember meeting with a very wealthy man one day. And he says, why do you fly economy class? I said, well, because that's what I can afford. And he goes, let me teach you a strategy. He goes, I want you to consider flying in business class or first class if you're flying commercial. And what I want you to do is sit up in business class or first class. And I want you to network and connect with people. You know, connect with them in the business lounge, connect with them on the airplane because you're in close proximity to them. And the thing is, if, if, if I, I, my, my average statistically, numbers wise, if I fly four flights in business class or first class, okay, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to, not every flight, but out of those four flights, I'm going to meet somebody who's a decision maker, somebody who's a center of influence, running some corporation, some chief executive officer, some millionaire, multimillionaire, billionaire, somebody who's a mover and shaker, that man or woman. And all I have to do is connect with that person, build rapport with that person and follow up with that person and learn to look at, find a way to monetize that relationship and turn it into cash. And I've consistently done that over the years out of four, four flights. I'll usually get one home run, a couple base hits, and sometimes I'll strike out on one flight, one or two flights, right? And, and the thing is, is that that one home run I hit monetizes and turns into cash those other flights. So if you can come with that strategy that, we, you know I mean, when you're I'll, I'll give an example, okay? So over the years doing corporate training, professional speaking, I used to get thrown out of office lots of times. Um, you know, I couldn't get past the gatekeepers. Not, you know, I've been rejected over 100,000 times. I used to make 400 cold calls a day. Okay. And how I got to that is I actually went and got a job for a national magazine uh, in their boiler room, in their telemarketing room, making calls. And our quota per shift was 400 calls a shift that they measured and tracked for productivity and performance. And so I used their telephones, all that stuff. And I used to, I learned to develop that muscle of calling, you know, smiling down and down for dollars. And so after seven months, when I hit the highest level, making minimum wage dollars plus bonuses, I realized, okay, I've peaked out in this telemarketing office. I can go out on my own now and build my own corporate training, professional speaking business, making 400 calls a day. 
And what I learned from that is it developed my, my resilience to mental toughness and focus, okay? So what I learned from there was I used to go and I'd call up different offices where CEOs were, and I wanted to get in to sell my corporate training services to get a check and go in and train. And they just kept on throwing me out of the office and wouldn't return my phone calls and put me on the do not call list and stuff like that. Like, it was brutal, man, I was, but I was hungry. And so what I would do is I would talk to the FedEx drivers and UPS and DHL drivers, get some intel, get some information, and find out when that decision maker was flying to. So for example, if we're in Vancouver, Canada, where I live, if we're in Vancouver, Canada, and we're going to Toronto, Ontario, Canada, flying across the country, it's a four to four and a half hour flight, direct flight on Air Canada or WestJet Airlines. So what I would do, and even times I didn't have the money, I would borrow the money through a friend who had the money on room on his credit card or her credit card, and then pay him back within 30 days. I would actually book a flight, and while they're going to the airport, I would book a ticket in first class or business class to sit right beside them or in close proximity so they couldn't go anywhere. So I had them as a captive audience for four and a half hours. There was many times I'd be on a flight, fly from Vancouver to Toronto, them sitting beside me. I'd introduce myself to them, and the guy or woman didn't even remember my name because the gatekeeper or receptionist or secretary didn't ever tell them that. I said, you know what? I said, I've been trying to meet you for the last two years, and I don't get any return phone calls or emails back from you. So now I've got beside you, I'd like to have a conversation with you. And they can't go anywhere because we're in a confined space on an airline plane, airplane, right? And by the time we got to Toronto, it was either a yes or no. Because here's the thing. They're going to close me or I'm going to close them, but somebody's getting closed. Right? And I used to be really aggressive in that way. I've calmed down a lot, but I used to be really aggressive. I used to really hustle and grind. And by the time I get to Toronto, I was hoping we could get a mutual agreement in place, a verbal agreement or start. And I even brought the paperwork. I used to bring an MOU called a memorandum of understanding. I used to bring a couple copies of it with pens so we'd get papered up right on the plane. So by the time I got off the plane, I had an agreement that I just had to deal with getting a deposit, which I'd call back to the office that day. And I'd get into the Toronto airport. The guy would leave, walk off, go to his appointments. And I would then get, get, go to the washroom, get on the next plane and fly back to Vancouver with the same flight crew. And I did that multiple times. I had a situation back in um, early 2000s where I met a guy through Barclays Bank over in London, England, in the UK. And I was using a fax machine back then. And I, I had this I had this lead, this, this, this referral to call this guy who worked. He's retired now, this guy. But uh, at the time, he worked in the bank. He was an old banker guy with Barclays Bank over in London. And um, so I got a hold of the guy. And, 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 he's, and we went back and forth by fax machine a few times by faxing. And he says, I'm willing to give you a 15-minute meeting. Now, we didn't use Skype. I wasn't using Skype back then or, and all these internet tools that we use today like we're using technology today. I was using a fax machine, right? And long-distance phone calls were really expensive from continent to continent back there, or even country to country, right? And uh, it was way out of my financial budget. So I sent a fax to the guy, and he says, I'm willing to give you a 15-minute meeting. I said, great. I want to meet you in person. He goes, well, you're, you're, in, you're in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, and I'm in London, England. And I said, yeah. So I called my best friend. I said, listen, you believe in me, don't you? He goes, yeah. I said, you have my back. Yeah, I said, I've got your back. So listen, I need your help, man. I need a stretch. He goes, why? I said, I need you to put $1,900 on a plane ticket, on an airline ticket right now from Kelowna to Vancouver, Vancouver to London Heathrow on Air Canada. He goes, what? I said, I said yeah, I got to meet this guy for 15 minutes in a Starbucks coffee shop by the Barclays Bank's um, office. Because you're crazy, man. You're, there's no guarantee. I said, listen, listen, listen. Just trust the process, man. You got to have my back here. Listen, I, I, I got the doors open. I got to run through. He goes, you, you're crazy. You got to fly from Kelowna to Vancouver, then Vancouver to London, England. You're flying for 10 hours for a 15 minute meeting, and there's no guarantee, and you're not even getting the check or getting the. I said, no, I'm just. It's just a discovery meeting. 
It's my first business date with this guy. He goes, no way. I said, come on, man. Listen, you got to help, man. You got to my back. I just need, just put it on your credit card. I'll pay you back in 30 days. He says, fine, I'll do it. So I three-way called him into Air Canada. We booked the flight. I, I got on the next flight out of Kelowna. went from Kelowna to Vancouver, Vancouver to London Heathrow. Got out of there, had a little bit of money, got into a taxi cab in London, England, went to the coffee shop, the Starbucks. The guy showed up, ended up meeting him for 22 minutes, one-on-one, face-to-face, continent-to-continent. The guy left, no communication for seven months. I followed up through fax and phone. He wouldn't return any of my phone calls, none of my fax messages for seven months. One night I'm sleeping in my bed. It's in the middle of the night because of the time zone differences from British Columbia to, to England. My fax machine's going off. You know, er, er, the fax machine, it goes off. And here's an agreement coming into place that they want to bring me in and pay me $10,000 plus first class travel expenses to fly from Canada to London, England because of my perseverance and my hustle. Because I, I was, because out of all the other consultants, all the other professional speakers, all the other corporate trainers, I was the only one that was willing to fly from North America to the United Kingdom to meet this guy face to face. And he said, if you're willing to pick up at your own financial expense, put skin in the game and fly from Canada to the United Kingdom and fly back at your own expense with no guarantee, we want to do business with you. And I see people today that have an opportunity to go to a workshop or a seminar or a trade show or a conference or go meet with somebody who's a millionaire, multimillionaire, billionaire, or somebody who's a decision maker, and they won't even get on a bus. They won't even hitchhike. They won't even get in a car or ride share to go 30, 40 minutes or an hour. And I'm willing to go continent to continent. I've done this. I, I've done this many times now where I've flown from Vancouver to Los Angeles or Vancouver to Chicago, Vancouver to New York. You know, just recently in the last couple of years, I flew from Vancouver, Canada to New York City for a one-hour lunch meeting with a guy in the airport in New York City. And then flew back the same day for a one-hour meeting, lunch meeting in New York. And when you're willing to do that and take that risk and put that financial skin in the game, you level up to a world-class level. You raise the bar because never assume people are not observing you and watching you. And people talk. And and I've and I've been on airplanes and people like when I'm flying back, like, oh yeah, where are you off to? I said, Well, I just actually came from Vancouver. Oh, okay. And you're going back to Vancouver? I said, Yeah. I met a decision maker on the airline and I wanted to meet with this guy face to face because he wasn't returning my phone calls or my emails and I couldn't get past the gatekeeper. So I had to get close to him in proximity. And the guy's like, Well, tell me what you do. Now I got this guy who's a decision maker because I've, I've already paid for the first class ticket. Now I'm coming back and I'm in a meeting with this guy. And, and it was amazing how much business I'd pick up because we're like, man, this guy's got some freaking kahunas to go out and do this kind of stuff. Right. And then all of a sudden the headhunters and recruiters start calling you thinking, man, if, and when you start getting around decision makers and millionaires and multiple builders and you start sharing those stories authentically with people, you're like, man, I want this guy on my team. I want to joint venture this guy. I want, I, listen, this guy's raising money. I want to put money with this guy because this guy's the guy I'm going to bet on because this guy's going to go to the finish line and get the touchdown. And, and this is the thing is that, listen, I've been, I've been ridiculed. I've been attacked. I've been, I've been called crazy. And this is something you got to understand. In the beginning, step number one, people are going to call you crazy. Friends, family, relatives, neighbors, loved ones, they're going to call you crazy. Wacko, nut bar, right? They're going to call you crazy. Step number one. Step number two is then they're going to call you lucky. After a period of time, after a couple of years or several months, things start to work out for you. Oh, Darren, you're just lucky. You're just at the right place at the right time. You just got charisma. You just got charm. You're blonde hair, blue eyes. You're just a good looking guy. You got the gift of the gab. No, I, I, I've got a plan because when people are lucky, it, luck is preparation meeting opportunity. So I visualized in my mind, I've had the vision board. I've, 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 I've journaled in my journal, writing things down. I'm scared. But I've learned that fear does not live in action. 
And that's the thing is a lot of people get into analysis paralysis where they analyze things to the nth degree or they get stopped. But here's to understand. Have you ever been rejected before? Have you guys ever been rejected? Sure we have. Did you? Are you still here? Yeah. Listen, I've been rejected many, many times, over 100,000 times, but I'm still here and I haven't taken on any damage. Nobody shot me. Nobody punched me out. I didn't end up in the hospital. I'm still here. And in the end, we're all going to die. So why be scared of rejection when life is so short and it's not a dress rehearsal? In the end, we're gonna, we've already been rejected. So we've, we've overcome that. It's just part of the game. And so these are things you got to look at. And so what's it going to take for you to step out of your comfort zone into your learning zone? I used to go, listen, I used to get, I don't know if you remember a thing called the Henderson directory. It was a blue pages telephone directory back in the, I think late eighties, early 1990s. And it was in Canada and it was, it was a blue book and it, and it showed all the people's names, uh, addresses and phone numbers and what their occupation or career or business did. And it was published. It was called the Henderson Directory. I don't think it's around anymore. But it was a blue book. And you had to pay for this book. Okay? It was a few hundred dollars. And I used to buy this book. And, uh, and, and there's times I couldn't afford the book. So I go out and create a part-time job, right? Moving somebody's junk, cutting somebody's grass, make a few hundred dollars, and then go buy the book. And I used to go to people's doors that wouldn't return my phone calls or, or emails. Uh, and I would knock on their door on a Saturday because usually a Saturday morning you get the CEO, because during the weekdays, they're up super early at the gym or they're in meetings or they're flying or they're traveling, right? You don't have access to them. So I'd go on a Saturday morning because if the guy had a wife and kids or she had a wife and kids, they usually husband and kids, I can find him in the morning. So Saturday morning, I go knock on their door and they're like, who are you? I said, my name is Darren Jack. We've never met. And you remember, I got their attention. And here's something you guys want to write down, okay? I've had a chance to be around a lot of people. I've trained over a million people. I've had a chance to be around a lot of agents, a lot of celebrities, stuff like that. And I'm going to share something with you that's going to shift your mindset about success. So if we look at Donald Trump, we look at Lindsay Lohan, we look at Justin Bieber, we look at the Kardashian family as, as some examples. Uh, we look at Howard Stern, we look at Rush Limbaugh, just throwing some names out. I'm just dropping some names here right now just as an example. If you look at these different men and women, there's four steps that they do to actually be successful. In fact, these four steps you want to write down because these are four steps that Donald Trump does on a consistent basis. Rush Limbo, Howard Stern, the Kardashians, Justin Bieber, Lindsay Lohan. These people do these four steps on a consistent basis, but it's not public information. It's a secret marketing meeting they do behind the scenes. And when you know these four steps and you implement them as a strategy, watch how things exchange for you. Now, you're not going to be popular doing these three things because remember, step number one is they call you crazy. Step number two is they call you lucky. And then step number three is when you become really successful, they call you a crook. Because you're going to get hugged and you're going to get slugged. You're going to get kissed and you're going to get kicked. It's just part of the game. So here's the four steps. Step number one is to get attention. Okay? Lindsay Lohan, Justin Bieber, the Kardashians, Donald Trump, they all get attention. Step number one, we live in a very distracted world today with the internet and social media and technology. It's hard to get attention to keep people's attention because people's attention are so short. So step number one is you got to get attention. That's why sometimes you see celebrities doing things to get attention, right? You see right now in the National Football League of the United States, somebody taking a knee. They're getting attention, okay? So step number one is to get attention. Step number two, Donald Trump is very good at this, to get criticized. The Kardashians, to get criticized. Lindsay Lohan, Justin Bieber, right? Paris Hilton, they get criticized, step number two. Step number three is they get haters. They get haters, People don't want to be hated. They want to be liked. They want to be loved. They want to be admired. They want to be appreciated. So step number one is to get 
get get attention. Step number two is to get criticized. Step number three is to get haters. And step number four is to get admired or admiration. Now, it's a four-step process. And if you look at it, if you, if you do this, you do some research and do a deep dive into due diligence on Justin Bieber, Lindsay Lohan, Donald Trump, any of these people, you will see if you watch any of the recordings on YouTube or any media reports on them, they get attention, they get criticized, they get haters, and they get admired. And you say, wait a second, Darren, step number four is to get admired. How do we admire somebody? Listen, you'd love the Kardashians' bank account. Right? You'd love you'd love their bank account. You'd love Justin Bieber's bank account and part of probably some of his lifestyle. You just don't want to go through step number two and step number three. But if you're willing to accept it as part of a game to get attention, to get criticized, to get haters, to get admired, right, you become wealthy. Now, am I advised you to do that? You make the decision on that. But the thing is, this is what they do to build star status and build brand recognition globally. They follow these four steps, but it's never trained and developed in college universities or in marketing courses around the world. Now, how do I know this? I've had a chance to be around these people who actually publicize these people as their publicists and their media PR people. And we're in private meeting called OTR off the record, right? And we're in a private luncheon. We collaborate and we share information. And this is the feedback you give me. Quite brilliant. Okay, we got disconnected. Yeah, looks like it. Okay. So what does everybody think so far? Darren, you, you, you are getting a cut off. Connection is bad. Just to let you know. Just hold a second and then you go and go get back. So we are okay. So that looks like your connection is bad. Okay. So far, so good, eh? guys. How do you like the presentation? How how awesome is it? Please, please tell me the, the connections. Yeah, Darren, you are back. Great, thank you. Sure. Sorry about that, guys. Technology, right? So you cannot rely on it. <laughs> so next time we will fly to meet with you. <laughs> sure, love that. Are you in Japan soon? <laughs> and in Japan? Yeah, I fly there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Sure, I'll go anywhere on the planet. Okay, so I have a question related to real estate investing, right? So how, how you build the real estate investing team, which you can trust, you know, with your hearts and on, right? How you build it up? Great team, question. Team? Great question. So this is what I've done now. We've got a $13 million project we're working on right now as a real estate land development uh, in the Okanagan Valley here in Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. So one of the key things is is to go out and get trained and develop. What I like to do in terms of how I build real estate partners, whether they're licensed real estate agents, they're mortgage brokers, they're appraisers, they're home inspectors, bookkeepers, accountants, lawyers, um, you know, people that have a lot of experience. They could be a joint venture partner. You know, maybe they've got access to capital. They've got deep pockets financially. Maybe they've got a lot of experience in buying and selling homes or doing developments. One of the things that I like to do is just like a headhunter or recruiter, I like to go to workshops and seminars that are real estate seminars that are public events, right? Where you get a chance to go to a hotel or a conference or convention center. I like to go there and I like to meet people. And I like to watch and observe people from a distance or in close proximity. So I watch, so, there, so I have some people right now on my team that work with me on different joint ventures on real estate that I've actually been watching for the last five years. They don't know it, but in the background, I've been watching them. I watch them on social media. 
I watch how they interact with people at the real estate conferences or seminars. I watch are they good at following up with people, you know, because I don't watch their lips. I watch their feet, right, because behavior never lies. So I'm watching what does their life demonstrate. So when somebody's telling me I do all this and all that stuff, because there's a lot of fluff and a lot of hype and kumbaya in the real estate industry, just like other industries, right? There's a lot of sizzle rather than the steak. And I want to buy the steak, not the sizzle. And so I watch and observe people. So the giving is to go out there and meet people, go to dinner parties, go to charity events, go to fundraising events, go to open houses, okay? When I'm interviewing real estate agents, I'll go to Saturday or Sunday open houses, um, you know, I'll go to where real estate agents hang out, mortgage brokers, uh, home inspectors, appraisers, um, venture capitalists, angel investors. I'll go where the money is. You know, I'll, follow, I'll go to different conferences or conventions or different events that they're at. And because not all venture capitalists you want to deal with, not all capital partners you want to deal with, right? And here's something I'd like you to write down. Without integrity, nothing works. Without integrity, nothing works. Nothing it's foundational. And so as you're going through your due diligence and you're going through your checklist of, of whether it's a mortgage broker, it's a real estate agent, it's a home inspector, it's an appraiser, it's a bookkeeper, it's an accountant, it's your lawyer, it's your legal team, uh, it's, you know, you're looking at somebody to help you raise capital, make sure you have a checklist of what to check off. Could be 20, could be 30, 40 things, whatever it is, but make sure you've got your checklist for due diligence and make sure that without integrity, nothing works. And so don't just get elated and, and buy on emotion when you see somebody that's, oh my gosh. I want to jump into business with you and want you to be my business partner and we're going to do this real estate deal. Take some time, just like in relationship dating, to get to know this person. Go on your first date. Find out what their credit score is like. Find out how many deals they've done in real estate. How many deals have they actually closed? How much capital have they raised? Who do they hang out with? What are some of their hobbies? What types of books do they read? What kind of courses and conferences do they like to attend? What kind of movies do they like to watch? Uh, what kind of music do they like to listen to? What kind of neighborhood or postal code or zip code do they have, right? How long have they been doing this for? Who is their mentor? Who's their coach? Do they have an advisory board? Are they part of a mastermind team? And these are all the questions I ask as a discovery process. So when I first meet somebody as a potential, I got yesterday, I got somebody interested. So Darren, you should have this guy on your real estate team. So what I do is I arrange a 15-minute discovery call. And it's either a Skype or a Google Hangout or a Zoom call or it's face-to-face. -face, and I have a discovery meeting with him or her. And I want to I want to ask the tough questions. I also do a thing called the integrity test. And what the integrity test is, is this: I, I'll say to you, I'll say, you know, like Yark, I'll say, listen, Yark, assuming that we work together, would you be okay with me asking you some questions? And they're like, sure. Sure. Some of these questions I may ask you, Yark, might put you on the spot or make you uncomfortable. Are you okay with that? Yep. But just so you know, Yark, I'm a no BS kind of guy. I put all my cards on the table. I'm right up front with you because I believe that without integrity, nothing works, and behavior never lies. So I'm going to ask, have you ever been bankrupt before? How's your yes. credit score? You know, have you ever borrowed money before? Have you ever paid back the investors? Okay. And then the integrity test is this. I say, you know what, Yarik? I've got some people that work with me that are former, you know, law enforcement uh, agency members or police officers or private investigators. And I might have to do a deep dive on due diligence with you because we're playing a really big game right now. And there's millions of dollars of investors' money at stake. And I don't want to, because here's something you want to write down. There's three types of money. Number one is calm money, calm money, C-A-L-M, calm money. Step number two is cautious money. So step number one is calm money. Step number two is cautious money. And step number three is nervous money. So calm, cautious, and nervous money. So I, what I do is when I'm sitting with somebody, I want to know with my gut or my intuition, am I calm 
Am I cautious or nervous sitting with this person right now? If I had this person as a real estate partner, they're going to invest a million dollars or $10 million of their hard earned dollars with me. Is that money going to be calm, cautious, or nervous? Okay. If this person's going to go to their friends and family and do a fundraising for raising capital for our real estate project or our development project, is the money going to be calm, cautious, or nervous? How competent is this person? How can this handle person handle adversities and challenges? That's why a lot of times, you know, going to play golf or a sporting event where you take the guy or the woman out in the golf course, you see how they play golf. You want to get to see their mental toughness, right? So sometimes I'll actually create a challenge or a problem early on in the relationship or joint venture relationship because I want to see how they handle adversities. How do they handle a challenge? How do they handle a setback? or a failure or a disappointment, right? How do they deal with something that doesn't go? Because we can all talk about success, but it's when you're riding the peaks and valleys of the roller coaster of life, right? Because we're either coming from a problem, in a problem, or heading towards a problem. How do they deal with that? How do they deal with something that's an upset? Do they react or do they just blow it off like, hey, no problem, it's just part of the game, right? And they get over it very, just like professional athletes, when you see them after the game in hockey or football and they're interviewing them on TV, it's like, yeah, we lost tonight, but we're going to be back stronger tomorrow night. We're playing against another team tomorrow night. We're back. See, are you? do you have that mental toughness you, to be my partner? Because I want to know that you can deal with adversities. You can deal with failures. You can deal with setbacks. You can deal with challenges. You're not going to lie, cheat, and steal. You're going to be an honorable person, right? You're going to pay your taxes on time. You're going to be represented as a very person. So this is what I look like and look for in a real estate development partner or a real estate partner where I'm raising capital. I've had people throw money at me for, for projects. I'm like, no, nope. money's cautious or nervous. Now, how do you know? So when the money's calm, step number one, you want to take calm money. You also want to make sure if you're doing a, a real estate deal that your money's calm for your investors. If the money's cautious, so it's kind of like this. The green light on a traffic light, green light is calm. Yellow light is cautious. And nervous money is a red light, which means you run, get away from it. Okay? And I've had situations where people come to me with money. I'm like, nope. This money's nervous money right now. I don't want to take their money, okay? Or you're looking at doing a deal right now and thinking, man, if I write a check for this deal or I get involved as an investor, is my money calm, cautious, or nervous? So a great way to do this is the next couple of weeks when you're out buying things, maybe you're at a grocery store or at a shopping mall, you're at a farmer's market, you're buying something online, just ask yourself, is my money calm, cautious, or nervous? You know, if my best friend right now or my brother-in-law calls me up to borrow a few hundred bucks because he's, you know, he's behind on something, Am I going to lend this money to them? Is my money calm, cautious, or nervous? And if you're cautious, do more research, do more due diligence, make sure you have a legal binding contract, make sure you're papered up. If it's nervous, don't do the deal. I Listen, I lost a few hundred thousand dollars a few years ago, and when I met the guy, I was nervous. And my girlfriend at the time was nervous. And I got elated, and I got excited, and I, and I did it on emotion rather than logic, even though I went against my, my gut, and I went against my girlfriend's intuition, and I knew my money was nervous. And when I got involved, I thought, man, and then after a few months, I realized all the cards were on the table, and it, I, I learned. And I think from now on, I listen to calm, cautious, nervous money when I'm doing a deal or involved with somebody in real estate investing or development. Hmm. Wow. Very good. Very good. Well, that's that's good. Good point. I mean, you know, if you're if you're nervous about the deal, then it obviously would be a definite red flag. Absolutely. So, so yeah. you know, you mentioned about you know raising capital there. Um, and that's always something that investors are looking at trying to do, um, you know, whether they're just starting out or whether they're, you know, going into the level you're moving into. Um, so if I have deals, you know, what's the best way that I could promote these deals, um, you know, to potential investors, you know, that, I, you know, show them that I'm currently looking for investors. But how do I promote that deal so that it makes sense 
that I might actually get, you know, capital raised. Great, great question. So if you're just starting off right now, you don't have people in your network or your phone or your Rolodex that have got money. You may know a lot of people, but they don't, they're living paycheck to paycheck, right? They're, they've got an employee mindset or they've got a salary or they've got a pension, or maybe just friends and family. What you got to do is you got to step out and start hanging out in circles where people have got money that can write checks for your deal. So I, I have, I have spreadsheets that I use and I have what we call a Titan level. So my Titans, and I have in my phone, my Titans are people who are a hundred million dollar level or above. Now I didn't start off that way. You know, I started off with the 10 errors, the hundred errors, the thousand errors, the 10,000 errors, the 50,000 errors, the hundred thousand errors, right? Like we talked about earlier. Um, so what you want to do is you want to be able to identify people in your network or Rolodex who are people have got some disposable cash. So, you know, who just recently received an insurance settlement? Okay. Maybe they got an insurance settlement who got an inheritance. Who, um, who's, for example, uh, you know, maybe is, is bought and sold some real estate and they've got some money. You want to look at all these different things, okay? And you want to look at who, who's got some liquid cash. Who's got access to liquid cash right now? Who's got access to some credit? Who's got access to people in their network that they can go to as well? And then what you want to do is you want to go to different real estate conferences, real estate seminars, real estate trade shows. Go to these different places in different cities, okay? And what you want to do is you want to start to identify who are the decision makers in these rooms. Who's got your money, right? Who's got your money and who's got their money right, right? And then what you want to do is you want to identify these people. So I'll give me an example. When I go to real estate conferences or conventions in different major cities across North America, what I do is I contact the hotel. If it's, if it's at a hotel or a conference center, let's say, for example, Las Vegas, okay? Because a lot of things happen in Las Vegas. So if we're in Las Vegas, Nevada, and it's at the Mandalay Bay Hotel as an example, or Caesars Palace, what I'll do is I'll contact, because months in advance, they start promoting this real estate conference or trade show, okay? What I'll do is I'll go to the hotel in advance, I'll call them, and I'll say, listen, I want to book or rent a suite. And I give them to give me a written quote and send it to me by email. So I have a financial quote of how much it costs to book that suite. Then what I also do is I find out who's in the trade shows that's actually paid for a booth at the trade show at the real estate conference. And sometimes I'll actually call those people or I'll have a virtual assistant that I hire for minimum wage to make the phone calls for me or send the emails. And I'll say, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm renting out this suite, this penthouse suite at the Mandalay Bay Hotel in Las Vegas. And it's a VIP or hospitality suite, okay? At the conference or at the real estate convention. And then what I do is I leverage it so rather than me having to financially pay for it, I get some financial partners who also can promote or they, they book the hospitality suite. So I'm, I'm the planner. I'm the guy that makes it happen, right? We'll execute on it. But I have other people who come in as financial partners to actually pay for it. So I leverage it using OPM, other people's money. Then what I do is while I'm at the event, I'm meeting and greeting people. I'm networking, making contact with people at this real estate conference or convention or trade show. I mean, they say, listen, why don't you come up tonight between five and seven or seven and nine, and we're doing a real estate presentation on a real estate development project in X city or like this, and it's a wine and cheese event, or we've got some food or appetizers. Now I've got these people who are excited about being at the conference. They're away from their family. They're away from their kids, away from their spouse. They're in Las Vegas. If I can, again, if I can control the environment, then what I do is they don't have to walk too far. They're already there, so I don't have to drive anywhere. They just have to leave that conference room, go down the hall, get an elevator, and go up to another floor, and they're right there. So I usually do it when I time it where they're starting to get hungry, and I want to feed them because they're thinking, well, where am I going to go? Oh, man, this guy, Darren Jacklin, he said we're, they're doing a uh, meet and greet or a lunch and learn or, or a dinner learn where they're coming up tonight. Why would you go up there and grab a bite to eat? Let's do the presentation. Maybe if you go, then we'll just jump off and go on the strip. 
So I want to control the environment is what I do. So at real estate conferences, conventions, um, you know, trade shows, that that's one of the things I do. If I'm not doing that, then what I do is I meet people at different real estate conferences, seminars, workshops that I attend. And sometimes I'll meet people online through LinkedIn and different real estate forums on Facebook and different social media platforms. Then what I do is once every quarter, I invite people to come out for a dinner party at my house or some central location that's convenient for people to come to. And I want to bring people together. Okay, so I want to bring people that are movers and shakers, people that are decision makers, people that are centers of influence to come together because there's strength in numbers. You want to create that synergy with people. And sometimes we'll do a presentation and I keep it very short, right to the point, right bottom line, right? 20 minutes, boom, quick, quick program. And the thing is to get people to connecting with people. And then what we do is we also attach a charity to it. So I have a school in Uganda, East Africa, Daystar School that I support in the slums of Kampala, Uganda, East Africa. So people love to support kids and education. Okay. So I say, listen, I'd love to invite you out for a dinner party evening. And by the way, just so you know, we're raising some money or maybe you're buying a ticket and, and the, the cost of the ticket sales goes to support education in Uganda, East Africa for food, clothing uh, for the children and education for their textbooks and school books. Okay. So then people feel they're contributing and making a difference to something. Right. And then I bring people out and I meet with people and just be building an environment. Now, the cool thing is once I got them there, I'm building relationships, building rapport, strengthening the communication with people. And then what I do is sometimes is, is this is on a Friday or Saturday night. The next morning, if people want to come step further, look at a presentation or raising capital. I say, listen, you know what? Last night you brought your spouse out or your wife or your partner out. Uh, you know, we got a chance to meet people. Because sometimes they'll bring the wife out or the spouse out just to start doing some due diligence. You know, like the wife's like, listen, you know what? Before you write a check to this guy, let me check him out and vet him, right? And, and trust my intuition. So women come out and kind of get a, you know, experience the lay of the land. And the next day on the Sunday morning, we'll have a place around. So listen, for those of you guys who want to take it a step further, we're doing a discovery meeting the next day. We're doing a presentation on the real estate thing. We'll do a little bit more deep dive in it. Last night, we only did 20 minutes. Today, we're going to spend two hours and do a question and answer, kind of like a shark tank. And what I encourage people to do all the time as I always say, listen, I've got a real estate deal for your real estate opportunity. What I'd like you to do is imagine this real estate opportunity or deals like a boat. And this boat is the opportunity. And your job is to punch as many holes in the boat as possible to see if you can make the boat sink or swim. Okay? And that's what I do with people. I also tell people, too, like I have a real estate land development project right now. We're doing some land development. So what I always share with people, and here's my pitch, you know, like this, is I say, listen, Imagine, imagine, you know, 15 acres of property and the toughest thing is for the, the developer or the licensed real estate agent is to sell the first lot because they don't know if the developer is going to go boom or bust. Okay. Or if the project's going to be held up with some permits or bylaws or engineering reports or some kind of, you know, finding, you know, sacred burial bones on the ground. Right. So the, the toughest thing is to actually get the first lot into place. But once you get the first lot, what is that? So you give them a really good, ridiculous low price to get the first lot sold. Because then you can show proof of concept. Hey, somebody put some finance in the game. They bought my first lot. But here's the challenge. Here's the drawbacks that somebody buying a first lot has to deal with. Here's the drawbacks. There's benefits and drawbacks and everything like that, right? So there's the dream and there's the nightmare. Here's the nightmare. The nightmare, the drawbacks, right, is, is that they have to now deal with the construction and flat tires for the next three to five to seven years as that development gets built out in that subdivision or development. They have to deal with the flat tires of all the construction of all the nails on the road potentially and all the construction of all the hammers being pounded, all the roads, people going up and down the roads with all the construction, right? But once that development gets built out, what is that, what's the value of that first lot that got sold? 
the price is going to go up because now the lot gets built, the development gets built out. So that's how I share with people. Do you want to be the first person in and take the calculated risk? Yeah, you're going to potentially get flat tires for the next few years on your vehicles because of all the construction and all the nails on the road. And you're going to deal with all the hammers that are pounding. But if you're willing to go through all the construction and deal with the nightmare for a few years, the value of that first lot can go up in value and it'd be a great return on your investment. And so I paint that picture for people and show them. And, and it's not hard to sell land because you're showing people the benefits and the drawbacks. And I'm not selling. One of the things that here's the thing that people got to realize, do not sell smart people. Do not sell people who can, ed, who can write a check for you. They do not want to be sold. I don't want to be sold. I want to be educated. And I want to be informed. That's the difference. I don't sell. Listen, I close a lot of deals. I've done a lot of things around the world. I've raised a lot of money over the years, millions and millions of dollars. People say, oh my gosh, you're really good at sales. Yeah, sales, marketing, negotiations, sure. But what I'm really good at is educating and informing people. Because when people know the risks, they know the benefits and they know the drawbacks, right? They do this whole SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and possible threats. When I go through all that in a very methodical step-by-step -step way, people sit back and say, you know what? I appreciate this, Darren Jacqueline. He can show me the benefits and the drawbacks. He showed me the dream. He showed me the nightmare. And he showed me everything around it of what my risks are, right? And what my risk tolerance levels are. And that's what I do. So I always show the benefits and drawbacks. And I always show the dream and I always show the nightmare. Because that way people have a balanced perspective on things and they can make an educated decision with their accountant or their lawyers or bookkeepers or their spouse or partner or some other whether they want to be involved in the deal or not. So I always show benefits and drawbacks. I always give them a balanced perspective of, of, of good and bad and ugly. So how do you cope with the rejection while raising the capital? The key thing is, is that rejection, I look at as feedback. So one of the things that I do is before I ever go out and, and, and publicly raise capital, I bring a focus group. So I've got a couple people in my network. Uh, my buddy, one of my buddies, Michael, and he's a guy that people don't like me bringing out to a dinner party because they find him very negative. Uh, he's not a negative guy. It's just the way he's wired his brain. He, he looks at, he, in terms of like looking at an opportunity where you punch all the holes in the boat, Michael, my buddy, he is very good at numbers. He's a numbers guy. He's a very analytical guy. But he always looks at worst-case scenarios of what if can happen, right? Okay. And then he creates contingency plans for that. So I bring out people for a focus group. And what I want to do is I want to deal with the critical people, the naysayers, the skeptics. I want to put them into a room. I buy them lunch or buy them a breakfast, spend an hour or two hours with them, walk them through the deal on a PowerPoint or my laptop, print out some things, photocopy some things, and I walk them through the deal. And then I have them punch holes in the deal is a focus group, is a test group, before we actually go out there and start raising company public. So I've already got my frequently asked questions already set up. So when I go out there to face rejection, I'm already planned and organized to deal with the most frequently asked questions because my focus group is already vetted and punched a whole bunch of holes in. And I, and I get some really critical people. You know, I get some people, you know, I had a guy one time who just did not like the industry that we're in. Now I've had guys that, I, oh, I don't like real estate, it's risky, all this stuff. Great, come out to this lunch meeting. What do you mean, you're gonna invite me? Yeah. I want your constructive feedback. I want your criticism. And at the end, I say, listen, after we've punched all the holes in the boat and the boat's still still floating here, we haven't sunk it yet, let me ask you a question. Be honest with me. Put all your cards on the table. When you first walked in, you were nervous. Nervous money, right? And then over a period of time, over the hour or so, hour and a half, you became a little bit cautious. Right now, where's your money? You're calm, cautious, or nervous. So a lot of times these guys after they tried to punch holes in the boat, they're like, you know what? Yeah, you're right. I was, I was, I was 10x nervous when I came in. <laughs> you know, now I'm, I'm calm. And I've had some guys that have been very skeptical in our focus groups that come in and say, listen, just so you know, I have no interest in your deal. No interest whatsoever. I'm coming here because you're a friend of mine, but don't ask me to write a check for that. I have no interest in your deal. Fine. 
just want to, I just want to get feedback. It's just an information group. It's a, it's a focus group. I just want to hear to, to get educated and informed. I want to come up with frequently asked questions. So when I go out there and I face the public and I'm raising capital with different net worth investors, I want to be able to know the frequently asked questions they're going to ask me. So I just, I just value your time and your energy. Where if you didn't take care of you for a couple hours, just want your feedback. And I've had guys come to me afterwards and say, listen, you know what? I told you a couple hours ago, I had nothing to do with your deal. I was coming here just for support to give you some feedback. I'm interested in your deal now. So when you do it from an authentic way with integrity and you educate and inform people, people know there's no hidden agenda. There's no secrecy. All cards are on the table. And uh, when people realize, okay, we've tried to punch lots of holes in this boat right now in this deal. We're not, we're not sinking it. Okay. We've got a viable opportunity here. So that's what I do in terms of overcoming or dealing with rejection is I prepare in advance versus just go out there and winging it. Sometimes I'll get calls of people say, Hey man, I want you to check out this deal. I said, well, what do you know about the deal? Well, you know, my buddy just, my buddy's got this deal. I said, so you're raising capital and you're getting a commission or a percentage of some equity. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to get this deal. Well, how well do you know the person that's doing the deal? How much of you, and you're like, oh, I, you know, I've known them. Well, how well do you know the person? You know, because this person's just looking for a commission because they're hungry. They got multiple deals on the go and they're just, they're just, they're just, you know, they're just deal, deal making. So I want to know about that as well as part of my own due diligence process. Very, very important, right? <laughs> making decisions. Absolutely. So your energy level, it's, it's incredible. So, I mean, as far as, you know, if I'm going in there raising this capital, I mean, you did the focus group. Now, if I go and actually meet with an investor and I get that rejection, you know, and I obviously went in there planned that, you know, everything's going to go great because I had my focus group first. How do I stay constantly inspired even if it doesn't go according to plan? Well, I'll give an example. So what, I, what I've done a lot of times, I, I, I'll say to an investor, I'll, I'll say, listen, you know, um, I'd like to take you out for lunch today, and I and I just want to. I'm not. I don't want to pitch you my presentation. I'm just looking to get feedback. I'd be willing to pay you fifty dollars or twenty dollars, or buy you lunch, or give you some money, or give you a gift card. But would you be willing to sit with me for a half an hour, or twenty minutes, or an hour, and just give me some constructive feedback about my opportunity? And wow. they sit with me, and as they're giving me constructive feedback, they're thinking in their mind, "Maybe this guy's a good idea. I should invest in this." I like it. I love it. That's, that's great. Okay, so you're planning too small in your life. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, I'll give an example. So a lot of people, they will want to get involved in real estate. Okay, they'll want to buy their own home, single family home. Or they'll, they'll see something in their neighborhood. They're like, you know what? I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I, I, I need to, I, you know, I got good credit. I got good equity in the home. I should buy another home. And because I saw something on TV or an infomercial, or I read a book or my neighbor's doing it or somebody at work's doing it. And, you know, they're making a couple of dollars positive cash every month. And, you know, I need to really supplement my household income. Or my kids are going to go to college, university in 10 years. And I usually start to put some money away. And so the thing is with this is, is that you got to look at is when it comes to real estate, just, just ask me the question again. <laughs> Why are you playing too small? Well, playing, playing too small. So what happens is with that is most people. I'll give you an example. Okay, so I, I built, I built a Rolodex of some very high net worth HNW, high net worth and ultra high net worth people. And I recently contacted a, a gentleman, high net worth guy, and I, I ran him by one of our real estate deals that we're working on, and he says, "How much do you need?" And I said, 10 million. He goes, good. My, my investor group will do the 10 million. And I'm like, wow, geez, that was easy. So then I got talking to him a little more and, and I said to him, I said, you know, can I ask you a question? Yeah. I said, when I asked you for $10 million, I was scared. I was scared. 
And, but I've known him for many years. I said, listen, when I asked you for $10 million from your investor group for our project, you said, yes, so easy. He goes, well, Darren, I, I believe in your track record and I love the deal. And I said, well, I feel I could have asked a whole lot more money. He says, you could have. He says, I don't know why you're not playing for a $100 million level. I said, what do you mean? He goes, well, $10 million to me is nothing for our group. We manage $66 billion for our family office. $66 billion he manages through their family office. Okay? And they're, okay. they're a private equity firm. Okay? In Europe. And he goes, you're asking for $10 million. It's chump change to us. And here I'm thinking, man, I'm stressed. Like, I'm, I'm playing in the big leagues at $10 million. And this guy's thinking I'm playing way too small because they manage $66 billion in their private equity firm through their family office. Okay. For those of you who don't know what a family office is, it's high net worth families that actually have a team of people that manage the family's assets and their portfolio. They're hired professional people. They call it a family office. You can just Google it and do some research on family offices. Okay. And so the thing is, it's easier to raise $10 million than $10,000. And I know that from personal experience because I've been there and I've done it. When you're dealing with when you're dealing with the ten errors, the hundred errors, the thousand errors, you've got to deal with a whole bunch of them. Okay, and a lot of them come from scarcity and lack mindset because they're paycheck to paycheck. They make sixty or eighty grand a year. They're in a high income tax bracket. They don't have a lot of disposable income. They don't have a lot of money saved. If they do have investments, they're they're in not the best performance, you know, vehicles to, to compared to some what other people would say. And so the thing is, you play at a bigger level. Like like when I share with you earlier in this interview that I'm building a $100 million net worth, right? And I'm going to give 99% of my wealth away to my foundation for global philanthropy. You know what's interesting about that? And somebody might say, well, that guy's arrogant. No, I'm generous because it's about making a difference. It's not The money's not for me. I'm going to give it away for global philanthropy to solve problems on the world, solve challenges, create opportunities, create jobs. But the thing is, I've had people over the last year that I've publicly started to share this with people of what I plan to do over the next decade, I have people come to me and say, listen, Darren, I, I don't have the time to get involved with what you're doing, you know, like be, be a joint venture partner or be involved in what you're doing, but I've got $10,000 I'll give to you to, to, to build for your $100 million net worth so you can give to philanthropy. I'm like, well, why would you do that? Because because I, I, I just, like, just like Warren Buffett give Bill Gates money, right? See, people will give you things and contribute to your life out of generosity and contribution because, because you're doing good for the world. Right when you're doing really, really good, and so the thing is, is that I, I tell you, I would build a hundred million dollar net worth because it attracts people. Now, some people are like, "Oh my gosh, that guy's crazy," right? But other people think, "Man, I want to be a part of that." So when it comes to raising capital, playing small is you've got to supersize or ten x your dreams and goals of what you want to do. Like I, I look at years ago when I started corporate training, and I was in the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia, Canada. And I remember going in and training some of these companies that were doing $2 million a year in revenue. And that was a big game for me. That was, that was like massive to go in and train a company that was doing $2 million a year in revenue. Okay. And I remember how scared I was and how nervous I was and how much I prepared and practiced. And then all of a sudden now I deal with multi-billion dollar companies. I deal with the largest companies on planet earth. I deal with some of the most successful, most influential CEOs in the world. I deal with some of the wealthiest families in the world. And they put their pants on the same way we do every day. And But the thing is, you'll find that when you ask for $10 million versus $10,000, you're playing at a different level in a different league. It's just building your self-worth and self-confidence and being able to allow yourself to be open to receiving and deserving that, play that level. And you might get some criticism from people around you thinking you're crazy, but you got to travel in different circles. And I, and I look at now thinking, you know, like I had a guy, I'll give you an example. 
just two days ago, I had lunch and dinner with a guy who's worth about $500 million US. Okay. I won't mention his name because you guys didn't know who he is. He's very well known around the world. And um, it was really interesting because I told him at lunch, because it was one on one with him, what I plan to do with my money. And he looks at me, he goes, Darren, he was like this, why are you playing so small? And I'm like, what? He goes, why are you playing so small? I said, I'm playing to build a $100 million net worth in the next 10 years. I'm 45 now. By September 1st of 2027, I'm going to exit to $100 million. He goes, Darren, do you not look at what you've done over the last 20 plus years of your life and your career? He goes, you, you've trained the largest corporations. You've traveled the world. You have no formal education. You started off in Vernon, British Columbia, Canada with 60,000 people in population. Today, you go in the largest cities in the world and train the most successful companies and some of the most wealthiest families in the world. You train their corporations and organizations. You sit on boards of directors and advisory boards of fast-growing companies. You've had people flying on private jets and hire you and consult with you for, the, for, for, for consulting work. You're playing way too small. I've known you for almost 15 years. And here I am thinking just 48 hours ago, $100 million is a big game for me. Like it's a big stretch for me. And this guy's who's worth a half a billion dollars is saying I'm playing way too small. Because his perception of me is that you're playing way too small. And he says, Darren, there's things that you do that I'm scared to do. That's just natural for you. It's your strength. It's your skill set. And there's probably things that, that I, you know, and vice versa. So I'm thinking to myself, my mind's just spinning when I left the meeting. I'm thinking to myself, man, $100 million is a big stretch for me. I don't even know how I'm going to pull it off. I don't even know how I'm going to build a team. There's one thing. See, there's three things. Number one is, step number one is to make money. Step number two is to keep it and manage it. Step number three is the hardest, which is to multiply it. Right? So you can make money. Then you got to keep it. Right? Get your money right and keep it. Right? And then you got to multiply it. And if you look at generational wealth, right, first generation, second generation, most wealth does not go past the third generation. First generation works their butt off to hard, you know, hustle and grind to make it. Second generation of kids watch their parents or grandparents make the money, so they want to preserve it and multiply it. Third generation is entitled to it, and they say, well, I never met my grandparents. Don't know how hard they had to hustle and grind. I'm entitled to this money because I've inherited it. I just want to blow it and spend it and have a good time. Enjoy my life. And some may do humanitarian or philanthropy with it, but a lot of times generational wealth doesn't go through past three generations. So it's one thing to build up a hundred million dollar net worth. There's a whole other set of skills and people and you know taxation planning and and risk mitigation and asset planning, all that kind of stuff. And the bigger the game you play, there's more benefits and drawbacks, support and challenge, growth and contribution, right? Hugged and slugged, kissed and kicked. There's always a balanced perspective. Right. And and so the thing is, I ask a lot of people all the time, do you want to be a millionaire? Oh, yeah, I want to be a millionaire. Well, there's benefits and drawbacks to being a millionaire, right? You may have to get an alarm system. You may have to buy different types of insurances, different tax planning, different estate planning, right? Accountants, bookkeepers, lawyers, right? Asset protection. You have to build different firewalls around your assets, your financial wealth, so you, people don't attack it. There's all kinds of things that are benefits and drawbacks to all that kind of stuff. So the bigger the game you play, the bigger the support, the bigger the challenges that happen. But people get one-sided and they don't see, they just want to see the benefits. They don't want to see the drawbacks. And the drawbacks become people's blind spots. If you don't see your blind spots, that can become a danger. It become a risk to you. Okay? Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely amazing information there. Uh, my jaw is on the floor too. I know somebody else made that comment. But just the content, the information that you've provided today is incredible. 
Um, I'm going to have to watch this again. <laughs> and again, and again, and again. Absolutely. And share with other people and get it out there. And we can train and develop and educate and inform a lot of people and make a difference in people's lives and provide massive value. Absolutely. I'm all about Whoa. compression, how I can take my 20 plus years of traveling the world, you know, and making a lot of mistakes and having adversities and challenges. And in the span of a couple hours, we can just take 20 years and condense into a couple hours and you can risk, you, you can mitigate all that risk and liability of having to go out and make the mistakes I can and get around people like me and stand on the shoulders of giants and Titans who've done things, right? And, and, and that's so powerful, right? And just, just take the, the steps and the clues and the strategies and implement them and then test them and look at the performance you get because it's specific and measurable and actionable results, right? Uh, uh, once again, absolutely amazing. Uh, we're going to wrap this up, everybody. We're, we're at our time here. Um, I thank everybody. I thank Darren so much for coming out, sitting here today and going through this with us. Um, you know, it, by all means, Darren's information, I believe, is on the last slide there. So if anybody wants to reach out to him or his organization, please do so. Um, you know, he's uh, absolutely, I don't even know what to say. I'm almost speechless here. The information is incredible. Um, you know, I love drinking through a fire hose and, and that was a fire hose. I tell you, it was great content. Thank you so much, Darren. Thank, Thank you, you, everybody, for coming out. Um, and, uh, you know, once again, we got another event starting in 30 minutes. So we'll talk to you all soon. Thanks Thank so much. Thank you, guys. everyone. Street Smart Real Estate Investing. Welcome to the new innovative concept of real estate investing. No more expensive courses. No more high-priced mentors taking your money and leaving you without ongoing support. Become a full-time seasoned real estate investor by participating with our already successful team members. Now is the time to stop talking about real estate investing and start doing. Take action. Just ask and we will help you. We promise one thing, no BS. For more info, www.streetsmartrei.com.